Hey everyone, welcome back to a special episode of the 13th Man Podcast. It's Shane alongside Frank, and we've got a special guest. It's his fourth time on the episode. We've introduced a friend of the show, Derek Dennis. Thank you for joining us today, Derek. How are you doing? I'm good, fellas. How y'all doing? I'm good. Just finished moving, so it was a busy last couple of days. Yeah, I heard, I heard, I heard, man. Where'd you relocate to? I honestly, I just moved up one floor. I'm still in Ottawa, still doing my thing. Just moved up one floor. Got at my parents' place. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, Frankie, you're the one who who got this set up, and you're just sitting there smiling. <laughs> what are you thinking about? <laughs> you know, on that's uh, that's what I do best, though. Um, Derek, we're gonna, I'll, I'll start this off by asking you: How excited are you about the news that uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson has bought the XFL? Oh, I'm. I'm very excited. I think it's a, I think it's a dope move. I think it's um, something that's going to bring a level uh, of entertainment to professional football that we probably haven't seen before. Um, just knowing The Rock's background, him wanting to be a pro football player and, and, and taking that path and knowing what it's like to be someone who's trying to break into the industry. And then along with, you know, what he's learned from his time from the WWE and to now him being the highest paid actor, I think I think there's a level of entertainment and the amount of people that he knows and rubs elbows with that's going to be able to come in and kind of either help him, you know, put the brand out there or or um, want to join it down the line if he shows that he, he has a business model that's successful. From what it sounds like, um, his, uh, his business partner, Danny Garcia, for what she's been putting out there in the media, she's pretty much been like spearhead of everything. So she's probably the one, you know, making most of the decisions and deciding. And uh, from my experience, man, I know women are probably some of the smartest people, especially when it comes to business and how business is run. So I'm, I'm excited for what they're going to bring to the league. I think, I think the last iteration of the XFL kind of showed them a business model that could be successful if somebody was willing to, you know, put into it and bring a certain aspect to add to it and then sustain it. I, I think I think they got a shot. I honestly think they got a shot to, to make it make it something. Now, I know you talked to us before you even started your first game with the Guardians, uh, you know, whenever it was way back at the beginning of the year. CFL yeah. fans still don't want to acknowledge the, the potential that the XFL has to, you know, not only steal their American players, but ultimately become the number two football league in the world. Do you, um, do you think, think that threat's real? Honestly, I, w- I wouldn't call it a threat, but there is an opportunity to become the second tier behind the NFL. Everyone knows the NFL is always going to be top dog. Nothing's going to knock off the NFL. We all know that. But there's a, there's an opportunity to be kind of like that second tier under it, kind of like what um, what Dana White did with UFC when he bought UFC. Nobody cared about UFC. Nobody wanted to watch UFC. And Dana White, bought it for pennies and turned it into what it is now. Now, you know, uh, a common fan who doesn't even watch the UFC like myself, I can still name five UFC fighters just by off the popularity of it and it being able to touch, you know, main, mainstream and, and kind of expand and, and, and touch certain uh, markets. So um, I think the CFL has been operating on an old business model for so long that now they've put themselves in a point where either they're going to, do what most what, what's normal with time, you know, to, to survive. You have to adapt to environments. You can't stay the same and think you're going to survive the same way. So I think now CFL's got to a point where they have to adapt or they're going to have trouble, you know, staying afloat. And I think the XFL is going to bring a certain um, 
level of entertainment, like I said, with The Rock, that's going to attract the younger generation. That's the problem that the CFL's having. I think when you get a chance to touch the younger generation, you have a chance for sustainability and for success. So um, they got a chance if they do it right. Like I, uh, I said it on my podcast, I talked about it last night. There's a certain market that they can target, that if they do it properly, they can they have a chance to leapfrog the CFL, especially with the state now. Pandemic's going to put everybody on a level playing field. So whoever takes advantage of the opportunity is going to is going to is going to survive in advance. So I know the the big thing last year was the low scoring games. You know, people would call it boring football because I think the average was like twenty two point two points a game for the teams. Do you think that if the scoring doesn't go up, this, the XFL won't survive? Like if it, if it can't generate that excitement, it's going to die after one season. I, I think that's an ignorant sentiment because if you watch any full, even the NFL has low scoring games. No one says, you know, no NFL has boring games. No one, people still watch it. People still support it. I think that's just a game of football. There's no such thing as every football game being exciting or being perfect. I think that's a societal issue that people have with, with entertainment in a sense where if it doesn't, if it doesn't hit me from the jump then I don't want nothing to do with it, that's kind of a hard precedent for anybody to live up to. I think that's more of a societal issue than it has to do with the league and its product. It was a new league and they were playing new football rules, rules that that were never played with before. So it would be kind of ludicrous to, to expect it to be a finished product from the gate. And I think that's always been the downfall of spring leagues or any football leagues. Part of the reason why people knock the CFL is they feel like the brand of the football doesn't meet what they deem is the criteria. So um, I think that's just more of a societal thing. I don't think it has anything to do with the product or the people involved with it. I, I, was, I was in the league. It was good football. It was good football players in, in the league. And as the weeks went along, the games got better. It was more scoring, which comes with familiarity. If you played the game of football before, you understand that nothing is right out the gate. CFL games early in the season start slow. NFL games early in the season start slow. NFL games this year are probably going to start slow, especially with no preseason and limited practice time. So that's just that's just comes with football. That comes with playing a competitive sport, especially at a pro level. Everything's not always going to be perfect. And like we always tell each other, man, everybody gets paid to do a job. So, you know, whether who's good, who's not good, that's that's just for fans to debate. That has no, no indictment on, on the product itself. Now, Derek, do you think it works the other way too? Because I know there's some there's some pretty diehard XFL fans out there that loved it because it wasn't as polished as the NFL game and, you know, all this and other stuff. And the players weren't the NFL tier, so it was still super entertaining. Um, but, you know, some of those same people don't like the CFL for those exact same reasons. Do you, do you think that kind of goes the other way as well? It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's just it's, it's ludicrous. Football is football. I feel like if you're if – you're, uh, um, a football aficionado or if you're a football fanatic, if you're a football, you know, connoisseur, then any level of football should excite you. I mean, um, I was sad when the, when the AFL folded arena football. I played in the arena league. It was still exciting football. It was high-scoring football. And people still had stuff to say about it. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's just more of a – if you're a football fan, be a football fan. There's no need to critique. There's no need to compare. Um, again, that's a, that's a societal issue. I feel like, too, people like to critique, people like to compare things to other things, and that's not fair because everything is not the same and everything's not meant to be the same. So you have to enjoy it for what it is and find something that you like about it and then and then kind of build towards it. Again, um, I think the last alliteration of XFL had a very good product, man. They had good broadcast. Um, the level of play started to increase. I mean, as time goes, um, especially, like I said, now, 
pandemic is going to put everything on a level playing field. And with the XFL, I think um, now what you see a lot of college players opting out and stuff like that, guys are not going to want to sit out football too long. So if the XFL does come back in the spring, they're going to have a market of guys that they normally have access to. Do you think they can actually get on the field by the spring? Um, and again, if they if they put the money into it and they 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 hash it out, I think eight teams in a bubble is, is doable. Um, I think the CFL could do it as well. I think they just took too long trying to figure it out, and they uh, didn't go about it properly. They were too busy trying to cut corners in a sense to get it done instead of trying to find a way to just do it properly, get it done. If if it was if it was you know meant to meant to be, you would have found a way to get it done. That's 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 life. You know, if anything you want to do in life, you're gonna find a way to get it done regardless of what it takes. So um, NBA had to spend $200 million to make their bubble. So I'm saying, like, you have to be able to spend money in order to make things like that happen, especially with, you know, player safety. Player, player safety is going to cost you. It's just what it is. It's, that's the issue that NCAA is having right now. They're always trying to find ways to cut corners on player safety. And, again, you got a bunch of college kids who don't have a union, don't have anybody to protect them. And they just have to do with school safety because they're on scholarship and such on and so forth. Um, that's that's just you know that's that's business and it, it's it's kind of messed up business of football. It's always been very messed up. So um, it's gonna take somebody to kind of just say you know what, F it. We're gonna put a certain amount of money into it so that we can get it done, get it get it up and rolling. So that way the ball is moving. It may not be perfect. It may not be what you want it to be out the gate. But if you hit it, I think getting it in the spring of 2021 is gonna get the ball moving so that they can push it for future years. But I mean, they get it done, they get it done. Not then, they still got 2022 to get it done. They got more time to figure things out, invest. Um, uh, they're gonna build capital. I mean, it's The Rock. He's in the movies every year. You know, he has other companies, other you know business ventures where they make money. So, um, it's 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 a work in progress. But I think if they put the commitment into it, they can get it done. Now, the main reason we brought you on today is uh, because we want to talk about the. CBA stuff that's going on with the CFL. Uh, yeah. You mentioned that you don't think that they really want to get it done and they're cutting corners. What what exactly do you mean by you think they're cutting corners? It's just it's just if if you look at it, um, you know, even if you're looking at it from the outside in, um, the CFL had two two and a half three months, even when the other leagues shut down before the season was originally supposed to start. So I think if you wanted to play a 2020 season, you already kind of knew the route the pandemic was going or we even got to late May, which is normally when training camp starts and then it's a June when season starts. Everything shut down March 13th, March 13th, March 14th. So you had the rest of March, April, and half of May. So it's about two months to at least get a, a, a solid plan down in place because everyone knew the threat that the pandemic posed. I mean, the NBA, it took them, what, a month, two months to figure it out before they got a chance to get back up and running. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it's it's to me, it's just if you watch how other leagues were moving compared to how the CFL was moving, it just seemed like it was more of a in the beginning they kind of just wanted to see let's wait it out and see what happens type of thing instead of you know being proactive and trying to figure something out ahead of time. It was more like a let's wait and see. Hopefully by summer middle summer should be fine or, you know, type of thing. And then when it didn't go that way, then it was like, oh, crap, we got to, you know, figure something out. But I think now it's already getting to the point now where it's kind of it's kind of too late. It's just more of a, uh, you know, you're going to have to cancel it and, you know, look, look 
to move forward. Do you think the, the inability for them to just jump to the bubble right away was the fact that it is a gate-driven league and they wanted to hope out that we can have fans in the stands? Yeah, I think that's, that's part of the reason why they took so long is that they wanted to – they thought they were gonna, there was going to be a window where the people were going to be allowed to come back. Now, um, the way Western societies have handled the pandemic hasn't been perfect. And the CFL, knowing that large contingency of its players are American players, um, when they saw the route that things were going, uh, I think they should have kind of figured out, um, you know, ahead of time. Uh, again, it's hard to plan for – it's a pandemic. It's hard to plan ahead of time. But um, – you had to, you got to be proactive to kind of figure these things out. So, um, yeah, I think other countries, like other countries in the world, they had a chance to come back because they literally shut down everything for months. Like nothing was open. And as opposed to people in Western societies, kind of, you know, essential workers still had to go to work, you know, kind of thing, still letting people outside, still doing things. I think we didn't attack it the same way that, you know, the eastern side of the world did where they just told everybody stay home don't come outside and if you come outside you know you're pretty much in trouble type of thing um but didn't handle it that way so uh it's it's a tough situation again i don't think it's 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 a maze to figure it out i'm not saying that it's an easy task but um like i said if it, if it wanted to be done people would be burning burning the midnight oil day and night to try to figure it out how much of this do you think is financial because as you said it took the nba 200 million dollars to put their their bubble together and let's face it the, the cfl doesn't have that kind of cash to burn right now on that how much do you think not getting any government help to this point so far have an impact on on the fact that we haven't gotten word well that's 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 the the argument in its sense in the sense of itself everything with the cfl since I've been a part of it and just from hearing guys who've been a part of it in the past, everything with the CFL has always been financial. It's always been about finances. And it's very hard to run a successful business when you're always saying that, oh, I don't have any money. We don't have any money. We don't have any money. Well, how do you run the business if you don't have any is the argument that the players have. Is. And if you're, if you're familiar with business in, in a whole – no business, businesses take losses that happen as part of business, but you have to find ways to recoup those businesses and get better. The problem with the CFL is that it's never worked to get better. It's just stayed the same. It's stayed, they just flat, like just went across like this for years. And now that the fact that it's in a spot where they're talking about taking things back, maybe 20 to what it was 20, 25 years ago, that's, that's bad business in a sense. So I don't think, um, the money thing is always going to be a big issue. Um, yes, uh, the game itself is great. The fans, great. The players, great. But again, as all boys down to when you're doing business, has has to do with money. So um, I think the the, the like the business model has to change in order for the CFL to survive. So um, they got to find money from somewhere. The government thing was just more of a – they saw that, the government was giving out money to businesses, and they thought, well, we're, we're a business. Let's see if we can get some of that money. But when it comes to pro sports, like, it's the only pro league in the world that's asking for money from the government. So when you have to go that route, you have to see that there's a problem there. Do you think long-term changes are coming in this offseason, or is the CFL too broken to fix at this point? 
No, that, nothing's too broken to fix, but there are going to be some long-term changes. And I think um, uh, I was listening to, to the Rod Peterson show, and I think that what he said in terms of uh, a one ownership model coming, I think that's very possible for the CFL in the future. I think uh, you got an owner like MLSD that's a part of the league that has the bankroll because they have, they have ownership of the Raptors, they have ownership of these two teams that make billions of dollars every year. Um I think if you find a singular owner that has bank, kind of what the XFL is doing in a sense, it may have to go to that model to kind of help bring the league out of the hole it's in and then kind of branch back out to um, single ownership again. Once you find enough single ownership that can handle um, teams in a sense, you know, you got three teams that's community-based, so it's going to be very hard to see if it go to a singular ownership model because you have the community teams and the community's probably not I don't want to give up ownership. Like that's that's why Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, and uh, are drawing blanks on the third one. That's why they have you know you know the success that they have because the fans feel like they're a part of the team because they have a small ownership and now they're invested. That's how they got fans to be invested in the league. That's how Sass saved itself from go, going under the last time after they got the little cash cash infusion from the NFL. So um, I, again, it's, it's Clearly, it's a model that's not working for the league anymore. I'm not going to say it's broken, but it's not working anymore, especially when you're paying majority of your salaries. Every time there's a salary bump, you're paying all the money to the quarterbacks and not giving it to the other players. I think that's something that's going to have to change as well. That's not a knock to the quarterback, but it's hard to build a team if you're paying the quarterback, you know, 25% of the salary cap. So, um, it's, it's uh, again, like, they, they got to they gotta figure something out because, again, the model is not working anymore and it has to evolve with the times and times have changed. So the third team you were blanking on, I think you said Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, right? Yeah, there was, I know those are, those are two community teams. I think there's a third one. I can't Edmonton's the other one. It's Edmonton. Yeah. Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as, as far as the one ownership goes, that, that scares me as a Red Blacks fan, right? Because it has taken forever for Ottawa football teams to have a good owner. And it feels like we finally have one uh, to go to a one ownership model right now for red blacks, I think would be kind of scary because you know, who knows what comes back as an ownership. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, again, it has to be a, it has to be a, uh, if the singular owner is invested into the league and, and keeping um, the Canadian football league, what it is and keeping it Canadian and having that, that, that you know, race, having the flex, flexibility to do ratios and that type of stuff, you know, no, that's the only league that does anything like that. So, if the owner is investing, keeping things like how it is, and then trying to advance, then you're gonna need an owner that's gonna have bankroll, that's gonna be able to put money into it, and not worry about the losses because they have something else bringing in a lot of money. That's why MLSE makes sense because Raptors are forever gonna make money, especially the way the teams playing, just they're having. Raptors are bringing in billions of dollars. Um, the Maple Leafs, even though they, they may not be that good, they're still bringing in a lot of money because hockey is Canada's sport. So um, I think an owner like that who has billions of dollars coming in from somewhere else is not going to mind losing, you know, $100 million, $200 million a year if it means building it to the point where it's going to, you know, pay dividends. I think that's why they're doing it with the soccer team because soccer is a, a global popularity sport that's here. So losing $20 
a year on soccer may pay off 10 years down the line when a team starts to make hundreds of millions of dollars based on the popularity of soccer globally. Yeah, and I mean, to, to branch off on that, you know, we have the, the, Canadian, the Canadian League Basketball League. Uh, Ottawa just got a team. It's in the second year. It runs under the same kind of ownership group where I believe it's only one owner who owns all seven teams. And yeah. you know, even if for, for the CFL, even if they don't do one ownership, you can take maybe two or three owners and have them kind of own the league. Yeah, make an ownership group. Yeah, ownership. That's, that's, I think it's essentially... It's essentially what the XFL is doing. They have a ownership group that's three owners that's all equally putting in money so that it's not one person taking all of the brunt and all of the loss. So that way you have three different voices who can bring certain different elements to the league that can help grow it and make it bigger. So um, I think that's a, that's a model the CFL may have to look at. It's just, it's just the reality of the times. Now, I want to ask you quickly about both the commissioner of the CFL and the head of the, uh, the CFLPA. Um, we've been pretty adamant in there's equal blame to go around for this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been told by Dave Naylor in a previous episode that not all of the communications are going to lie. Communication issues are going to lie on the shoulders of Randy Ambrosi. Did, when you were in the league, did you find that uh, at times the PA would be holding information from you? Or did you find that it was more of an issue coming from the commissioner down? My issue early on with the game was, was it felt kind of incompetent and it felt like um, the leadership in the PA was kind of outdated. So the, the mindset and the thinking was always, especially for American players, a lot of American guys always felt like um, the Canadian factor of the Canadian league always over, over everything else. And we always felt like we kind of had to take a back seat because being an international player, you don't get the same – privileges as having that Canadian passport. That's just the, that's just what the league is. That's what it's always been. As an American player, you understand that. That's how, why, you know, my O-line coach in Calgary, Pat, used to always tell us that he pushed American players harder because it was harder for you to stick around and harder to be on the team if you didn't have that Canadian passport because so many guys, they could revolve around the tour and, and, and you know, just never felt like. So, um, as an American player, you owe that you, you could always, even though we, as a union, I think as a union, we had a hard time being unified as one. So now that you're bringing uh, other um, global people into it now, due to Ambrosi's, you know, global uh, initiative, CFL 2.0, and then now you're um, adding another element to it where you have other internationals, but they're not considered American, they're considered internationals, and they get kind of some, another little bit of a special privilege. So, you know, there's it's a lot of things that go into it. I think the PA has always had a hard time being unified as one. And I was very vocal with the last CBA negotiations. I think that's probably part of the reason why a lot of guys around the league don't like me because I was kind of just telling them exactly what it was and everybody was too busy on, figure it out, let's play football. Figure it out, let's play football. Well, when you get to this level in, in the business, it's business. It's not always just about playing football. And I think that's uh, – Got the, the the people that I just want to play football mindset handicap, you know, things because that's what owners and leagues rely on. They rely on those guys to keep things going because they know there's going to be guys who's going to just take whatever you give them because they just want to play. I think uh, Sally is Sally is, is, a, is something different that the PA's never had before. I don't think they've ever had an American president. So um, I think it's something new. He's bringing a different perspective to it that's, that hasn't been there before. But he's very inclusive. He's, he's always 
uh, treating everyone the same. It's not, it's not a, you know, uh, thing. it's a, a union. we're a union. We're going to make it to where things are for everybody and we are treating everybody fairly and everybody's being treated the same. So again, I think the owners have always been operating on a, on an old school mindset. And that was kind of what the last CBA negotiations were. It was a, a meeting with the PA and, and things weren't what a lot of us wanted to fight for, but it was more like the PA was kind of like, we have to fight to get certain language into the CBA so that we can work up from there. Because without that language, we're still going to be stuck to where we've always been. Um, if you go on Twitter, you see Spencer Moore has been tweeting the last day about past negotiations and them always being, uh, players always getting the short end of the stick. So I think now is, what you're seeing is that players are being steadfast. They're not trying to get the short end of the stick. They're trying to get an equal part of the stick because, again, we are the problem. We are what brings fans in. We are who the fans go. We help make the business money, but we are the the, the engine that makes the machine. Um, this is now to a point where it's kind of the theme of 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 society now in the world today is quality. Things are what, what people are fighting for, is quality and a fair share. So um, I, I think that's what you're seeing. You're just seeing it more on a public forum because now we have social media. To, to explore on that, you know, do you think that the CFLPA has done enough to, to show their side of what's going on? Or do you think that they're pushing it too much onto the CFL? No, I think you're just seeing you're just seeing a little bit. I think it's just more of a it's a negotiation tactic to kind of just put you know poke the bear a little bit to get him to turn around and roar at you so that you actually could you know get things moving. I think that's all you're seeing on social media. You're not seeing everything put out there. You're just seeing guys kind of just trying to poke the bear to get them to move at a certain speed. Because I think now the player the players are probably more restless than anybody because this is our livelihood. This is how we provide for our families, this is how we feed our families, this is how we make our money. So if anybody wants to get anything done quick, fast, in a hurry, it's the players because we want to play, we want to make our money. So um, to think that it's a, like everything is being thrown out there in the media, it's really not. It's, 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 it's not even a, a good enough portion to think that you know the full story. So it's very hard to make assumptions and come off with the full picture thinking that you're getting everything on social media when you you're essentially not. And I think the, CF, the CFL does it. The owners do it all the time. They throw out little tidbits of information. They throw out, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a negotiation tactic. It's, it's done in business and other degrees. It's done in politics. It's kind of how the world works. There's ways to kind of get things done. So now with social media and that added presence of putting information out, kind of get someone to see things the way you want them to see it so that you can get what you want out of them. That's just the fans are just now the fans are ha having the you know the the view to that, so it's not a um you're not gonna you're not you're never gonna get the I, I remember seeing you tweeting you're not gonna get the full picture of what's going on just thinking that you're seeing everything of what's going down on the internet you're really not seeing everything you're only seeing a very small fraction of it so to think that the players union or the players are not doing anything that's that's just kind of unfair it's kind of what the league wants people to think they want people to think that player that's why the league is not saying things because it's going to make it's going to look like the players are doing all the talking and all the who who run it but they're not doing anything to get anything done when it's probably the complete opposite it's probably the league just kind of working their agenda to get some something out of it um and again like i said listening to rob peterson the point that that was you know cool with fi finances are a problem for the league and why would you not want to cancel the season because in the cba it says that all contracts get voided and and, and 
it uh, annulled. So um, if you don't have any money to pay out and all the contracts and you cancel the season gets gets ripped up essentially, then that's a that's more beneficial to the league than it is to the players. So uh, again, if anybody wants to play a season, it's the players. It's not. I don't. I, but again, I think that's why you saw uh, Armando Stewell say, you know, it's it's equally on both sides. He probably feels like the PA could have done a little more, and the league. It's it's, it's always going to be equal. I mean, it's it's a two party system. We we have to work as as a team to get things done. But you just don't see that that team camaraderie, which is which is weird because we play a sport that relies upon teamwork and camaraderie and being one to get things done. So when you see those things not being done in the business sense, again, people just people forget that the game itself is separate from the business, even though they are one. Derek, I'm going to ask you a question that realistically could affect the way that people look at you. So please, if, if you can't answer this, please don't. Um, okay. Do you think that a new commissioner would solve any of these problems? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't really answer that question if I wanted to. Um, I don't really know exactly what Ambrose is doing. I don't know how he's doing things. Again, you can't make an assumption based off of what you think you're seeing or not seeing in the public. So who knows what he's doing behind closed doors? I don't know. So I can't assume that he's not doing anything and I can't assume he's doing the worst or he's not doing his best. So, um, thinking that a new commissioner is going to solve problems is, Again, that's that's dumb too because you don't really know. So I've never been one of those guys that's been like, "Oh, we need a new commissioner. This guy sucks." Type of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's never been my thing. Um, I've seen other guys do it. Some of those guys are like PA reps, so they may have a better um, understanding of what's going on behind closed doors. So I'll leave that to them because they have they are privy to a little more knowledge than I am as a player. I just get the emails every every week like everybody else. So. Um, my thing is, uh, I don't have a past judgment on anybody. I'm just looking at, you know, I'm, I've always been a read between the lines kind of guy. So I just kind of see what's out there, kind of decipher for myself, read in between the lines and my own knowledge of knowing the business and what goes into it and just make my assumptions from there. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't know if he's doing good. I don't know if he's doing bad. I just know he's in a position right now where he's making decisions and, Whatever decisions he makes is going to either make the league or break the league. Just to follow up that question, um, would you – let's say they did hire Ambrosi and they allowed people to apply for it. Would you apply to be the commissioner of the CFL? Me? Um, I don't think I have enough uh, knowledge to, to, to do it. I have ideas. I would gladly take a job off uh, a job like working in a league office to kind of help whoever the commissioner is and give him ideas on what he could do. But me, me personally, I don't think I would go for uh, commissionership. So that's a um, it's like being the president of the United States or president of a country, or you know, like being uh, Justin Trudeau. You're under so much scrutiny and so much uh, backlash for things you say or do that it's uh, I'm I'm one of those people that have attitude where. <laughs> I might be, I might be like Trump, man. You might see me tweeting my own personal feelings <laughs> out to people when they piss me off. So I, I probably wouldn't do it myself. One guy that people have been throwing around pretty uh, heavily, though, I've seen is uh, Henry Burris. Uh, do you think yeah, he's a good commissioner? Um, I don't know. I wouldn't know until actually Hank does it. I mean, uh, 
I have a relationship with Hank because he's a Temple alum like myself, so we kind of made a bond there. So um, he's always been like a big bro. Um, Hank is a he, he's a smart guy. He's been around the league for a very long time, so he will have some a, a sense of knowledge that um, probably most people don't, wouldn't have. Um, and uh, he's been kind of he's 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 more of like a fresh face, like he's freshly removed. He's not too far removed, and he hasn't. He's still a part of the game in a sense where, you know, working with DSN and all that type of stuff. And so I think Hank, um, he has he has some intangibles that are that you know, same intangibles that made him a great quarterback. He has the intangibles to be um a good commissioner if he if he applied himself properly and he, and he did the right things. I think I think he'd be a, a valid candidate. So a couple of weeks back, Dane Evans made a tweet about uh, needing an answer from the CFL. I responded with a question that, that pretty much said um, what is stopping anybody right now from opting out and going to get a job, whether the season is played or not? You're someone who has a little bit more insight into the inner workings of the league and stuff. Is there anything that would be stopping them right now, or is it just the fact that they want to play football and they don't want to go that route? No, it's the, the, it is a lot stopping them. I, I went through it with uh, my kind of myself when we were going through CBA, and it took um, right until like camp to figure it out. During the offseason, I didn't get my offseason bonus. So, you know, money was tight and I, I had to try to get a job. But when I was applying for jobs and trying to get a job, um, a lot of people wouldn't hire me because I told them that I was going to be leaving to play football. So, um, and most people don't want to hire just, you know, work that's going to be around for a month or two and then disappear because now they have to go about finding someone to replace that person. So, um, that's a challenge that we face as being pro athletes. Um, it's very hard to call yourself a pro athlete when you can't actually focus on being a professional at your sport. You have to worry about working and getting money and trying to fit in your work schedule with training and stuff like that. That's a, a very hard life to live. So um, <clears throat> it's, it's guys need a, they need a decision. You have to tell them, all right, we're going to play football. Because if you're saying we're going to play football and we're going to figure out how to play football, then guys know how to move accordingly. If you're saying we're not going to play football this year, we're going to move towards the future, then guys know how to move accordingly so that they can take care of their households. Um, the stringing along is what's pissing everybody off. It's fact, like, I have to make money now. I need money. You're not paying me. And if I go to a job, they're not going to hire me because if you call me tomorrow and say, all right, we're going to play football, then I have to quit my job and leave. And that's going to burn bridges that, you know, that may mess you up for life after football. You know what I'm saying? A lot of guys always want to do work that has to pertain to what they want to do after they're done playing. So if you're burning bridges while you're playing, because you're in limbo, constant limbo with stuff like that, um, it's very hard. I mean, some guys have careers where they can do it, like, a, you know, like Adam Bickhill, who's a CPA. If you're a CPA, you can do both. You know what I'm saying? Uh, um, my, uh, my my boy from Calgary, uh, <clears throat> Brandon Smith, was a CPA, too, in the offseason. So, like, a CPA is a career you can possibly do both. And you can even do it in season because you can take your spare time when you're not in practice, whatever, and still do your work. So, um, not everybody has that career. Not everybody has those skills to do stuff like that. So, um, I think it's a uh, uh, it's it's a very challenging situation for for the players. But if you're a guy like Brandon Banks, and we'll, we'll use him as an example because he's the only one so far that I've seen that said he won't put on a helmet regardless of if there's a season or not. Uh, if he wanted to go get a job right now, do you think the restrictions on that would be the same? No, because he's already declared that he's not going to play football. Now he has to worry about will his football career be ended prematurely because the team feels upset that he decided 
to look out for his best interest and then they decide to cut him or they decide to, you know, get rid of him and he doesn't get his money from football. Um, that's just kind of the reality of the situation. The NFL players are going through it now too as well. They're opt-out clause and they're being rushed to make a decision by Thursday with MLB players get to midseason to decide if they want to opt out or not, even though they've already been playing. You know, that's the kind of things that you have to look at to that that brings different elements to think to um to think. So um I think I think uh 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 BB is a smart dude, man. I think he's already had something set up. He's probably been doing stuff. I think he actually owns his own trucking company. So I think he's been making money anyway in the off season. So um I think his decision is more of a of a, you know, I have I have more to gain than I have to lose by not playing type of thing. So I think that's kind of where he's where he's coming. This is why we bring you on, Derek, because like you said earlier, we don't know everything from the outside. And Mm -hmm. being cut because you don't show up for your team is not something that I thought would be happening. But because you – like, that's now something that I realize that players have to think about. Um, Yeah. But we brought up the XFL earlier for a reason, and and it's because I wanted to tie it back into what Vernon Adams Jr. tweeted, uh, where he won't be leaving the CFL regardless. And I know he got – paid like the owls backed up the brinks truck for him and everything um but do you think we're gonna see some american players like leave the cfl because of this yeah may not be may not be top tier name maybe a couple to top you never know you saw you saw me sj and uh and armonte do it um and there were a lot of other guys who were trying to do it it's just again football's a competitive business i know at least at least 20 to 25 dudes who wanted to jump shit um, when XFL was playing last time, it was just more of a, it's so many football players out there. They, it wasn't like they were just going to bring everybody from the CFL. They just picked a certain few that they wanted that they felt could add something to, to the to the teams or what they needed. I got the opportunity because I was an old lineman and they needed good old linemen in the league. They didn't have to be. So um, uh, I think it's, you're going to see a lot of guys try. Whether it happens or not, it's more dependent upon the direction of, you know, league personnel and the people who make those decisions on who, who they bring in and who they who they do not bring in, but uh, there are going to be some guys who are who are serious, especially the the guys who are making minimum. You got to think about it. Um, when I went to the XFL, we were getting sixty five k US, sixty five k US is way more than sixty five k Canadian, especially with you know how the conversion rate is going and what the dollars worth. Um, I was actually <laughs> making more making more than what a minimum player in the CFL made. I think a lot of people, especially fans, they just see the the number and they go, Oh, it's 55 and th- you're making this in the C. You'll probably make more in the CFL. Well, the reality is not everybody makes that much money in the CFL. The average player is going to make 80 to 90K CAD. And that's, and that's only 80, 90K. That's including, if you understand the CFL contract, the base is 65. So that's the money that they're getting. Everything else is housing, bonuses, um, uh, incentives. So yeah, the contract may say 80, 90 K, but 40, 40 K of that, 45 K of that is not promised. So they may only just be getting that 65, depending on if they play, if they don't play, um, how CFL contracts are structured. A team can cut you before week nine and you don't get any more money. You know what I'm saying? Only if, only if you're a certain veteran is your money guaranteed after the ninth week of the season. That's something that people don't think about or not or not privy to that knowledge. That's something that you'll take into consideration as opposed to the XFL is you sign that contract. If you're on the team, you're getting paid regardless whether you play or not. So you don't get that same luxury in the CFL. So um, 
like my first couple games, I got what the guys who were playing got because I was on the active roster. Even though I was just doing field goal, I played three plays a game, but I still got the same 5,500 USD that everybody else got who probably played more snaps than me just because that's just how the league, the league was structured. That's how the contract is structured. So you got to understand, um, unless you know the, the ins and outs of the business and how the contract is structured, then, again, as a fan, you're just going to see the number and think, oh, you're getting this. No, that's not how contracts work. That's not how football contracts work, especially. So I'm going to draw a little bit of a conclusion from that. Let, let's assume that the XFL dollars stay the same. I think we discussed last week that the CFL salary cap is probably going to drop by about a million and a half is the projection right now. Um, yeah. But what, what do you think we're going to see – that the entry level out of college players are going to pick the XFL over the CFL. And if yeah. in the XFL uh, that number stays the same for superstars, we'll see those superstars then come back to the CFL. Um, so, so yeah, you're going to see more guys um, opt out. To be honest, a lot of American players don't really even ever consider coming to the CFL because they just, they hear the horror stories of guys who have tried to attempt to go up there and not make it. Um, being again, being an American, the ratio puts you at a disadvantage that that you don't have to face in other football leagues. So um, I've seen a lot of talented American players come to the CFL in training camp and get cut because it's just there's uh, you're you're um what like how I always equated is as an American in the CFL, you don't just compete with the guys in your position. You're competing with every single American player on the roster to get a spot. So and it's limited spots and based on how teams like to structure their rosters, um, if you're on a team that likes to put, you know, more Americans at the skill positions, then as an O-lineman, there's only one American spot on the O-line. You're on a super uphill battle because you're not just competing against the O-lineman to get on the field, uh, the five or six American O-linemen that they brought for that spot. You're also competing with the other Americans on the roster so that you're on the game, you're a game day starter because the ratio brings a different element that that you don't have to deal with in other sports as opposed to, you know, just being American. You go down an XFL, and if you're good, you're going to make the team, and you're going to find a way to get on the field and play. Type of thing. You don't have to worry about if you're Canadian or American. You know, you don't have to worry about that. So um, I know a lot of guys, once they heard about the racial thing, they were just like, all right, yeah, I'm not going to CFL. Forget it. They're never going to see me type of thing. I think you saw a lot of XFL guys now signing with the CFL because – Again, you got those guys who just, I just want to play ball. I want to have an opportunity to play ball. And they know the NFL is not calling them, and they just want to sign with a team type of thing. And I think the CFL has always been banking on guys with that mentality. And as long as you have those guys out there, that's why they're going to be able to, to give players the minimum and treat them a certain way because those are going to be guys who's going to take, who's going to take peanuts, on the, on, peanuts from pennies just to play football. So, um, uh, again, too, um, with veteran guys, if, if you're a lower-tier veteran guy in the CFL, I think if the XFL salaries stay the same, you're essentially probably going to be making more than what you would in the CFL, so the guys are probably going to jump ship for that reason. Um, if you're a veteran guy and you're you're getting offered more money, then, um, like, for example, I know what June Jones had offered for Levi Mitchell when he became a free agent and was thinking about the NFL and so forth. Um, he would probably would have made more because it would have been the USD and he would have been back home in Houston around his family and that type of stuff. It, it was an opportunity that probably was, was pretty, you know, you know, tantalizing. That's probably why the Calgary offer had to go up. You know, that's again part of football negotiations, trying to, you know, use your your uh, your power to get what you need to get out of it. Um, so 
Um, like DA statement, if I think if a if a, if a XFL team offered him four hundred to five hundred thousand American to come be a starting quarterback in the league, um, and he's he's getting what he's getting now from the Alouettes, five hundred Canadian is is not nearly as much as five hundred US, and that's just the reality of it. So, I think his 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 came more of a VA put in a lot of work to get to the spot that he's in now in the CFL. And, you know, kudos to him. He, he, he had some really messed up situations. He went through some messed up times. So what he got now, I know he worked his tail off to get there. So I would understand probably that's probably the biggest sentiment where he's coming from is he worked his, he worked hard to get to that spot in CFL. It would be, you know, it wouldn't be smart for him to give up what he worked hard for. But I feel like if it was a situation where, you know, you would have been better off being able to be close to home where you live in the States, you know, close to your family, closer to your kids, you know, and you're making uh, currency in where you live and not another country's currency that doesn't kind of, that isn't as strong as yours. I think that's the factors that you have to, you have to consider. Do you think that's why in a fan's perspective over the last two and a half, three decades, American players have, earned a reputation of not caring about the CFL where they'll jump from the CFL basically the first chance they get is that the casual fan doesn't see the money side of it. They just look at, you know, player, player A rather make more money standing on the sidelines, you know, as a practice uh, roster guy than playing every, every week. You know, I think – that, that's a big issue with fans, especially when it comes down to free agency. I know that's a huge – player turnaround is a huge issue in the fans' perspective with the CFL. Well, I think, I think, I think what will we'll, we'll kind of kill uh, player turnaround is if CFL put guarantees in contracts. If you guarantee certain salary, then that, that kind of gives responsibility to the team to be invested in that player. Um, teams – don't have any liability to players in how CFL contracts are structured. So my, for example, my situation with SAS, I signed a three-year deal because I plan on being there. I wanted a long-term situation to be there and, you know, make my money. So actually I thought at least I would get to year two of the contract to, you know, kind of make my bones. I didn't think, you know, after year one, you know, how things went down, uh, they could just cut me and then that's it. They're not tied to me at all. They don't have to pay me any money. You don't see like how it is at NBA where you have to buy out a player in order to get them off your team. So there's some type of financial responsibility. So you can't just cut bait on people when you feel like it. That's something that that's that's what the NFL has in their contract. That's why guys get guarantees. That's why guys get, you know, certain money up front. Because if by a certain date you're old, you owe me, you know, you see a CFL do it. That's why guys get the offseason bonuses. And they normally get it for January 1st. So that way, if you cut me, you cut me before free agency and I get a chance to negotiate with somebody else before other guys can because how CFL contracts are structured. If you're a free agent and playing out your contract, you can't talk to anybody until mid-February. Well, if you get cut by your team in December, January, then you have two months ahead of everybody else to talk to teams to get some money. So that's why guys normally get their bonuses in January, January for January 1st. So that way, if the team wants to cut them, they have to cut them by, you know, that last week of December, and then those guys get a month and a half ahead of everybody else to kind of negotiate. So, um, but there's no guarantees in contracts. Like I said, if you're a veteran, you have to get to at least week 10 in order for your salary to be guaranteed. You have to, um, you know, kind of make it through, you know, that's why when guys get reporting pass bonuses in their contract, it's just kind of like a, 
that's that's dumb to me because you could show up and the team the team probably could tell the team doctor like, hey, tell him he feels physical, so we don't have to pay him, and then we can cut him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, stuff like that is part of the business of football that people don't understand. So, so um, that's 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 just you know things that players have to consider and they have to know and they have to be knowledgeable about. Because I've seen plenty of guys get screwed over and kind of get left with nothing and nowhere because they don't understand how it works. I got one more before we let you go here, Derek. Your, your kids sound like they're getting a little bit of rest, little, little bit restless there. Yeah. Um, yeah. In hockey, they have a system where if you cut a player, uh, some of their money will count against your books and will impact your salary cap situation. Uh, do you think a, a system like that would help the CFL at all? Immensely, it would. Because, again, there's no – um, there's no accountability by the teams to honor these players. So that's why other PAs and other – I mean, yeah, you got different money and all that stuff, but that's why the union fights for certain things in the collective bargaining agreement and in contracts because they hold teams accountable. So they can't just get rid of people, throw them everywhere and do that type of thing. That's why the moves have to be calculated. They have to be smart, you know what I'm saying? Like – Kind of what you saw with Antonio Brown and the Raiders type of thing. Like, you know, he had money to, like, you know, put stuff in the contracts that if he violated, they didn't have to pay him money. So CFL has none of that. They can cut bait on anybody whatever they feel like. That's why you see a lot of guys jumping shit because it's like, you don't owe me nothing. I don't owe you anything. So why do I have to be loyal to you? You don't have to be loyal to me. So um, if there's something, some form of accountability in contracts that they can get, then that makes player turnover less and then you'll get to have your favorite players stay with a team for three four years because now signing a three four year deal essentially means nothing it's still a one-year deal because the team can cut bait on you in the offseason and i pay you a dime well derek uh i hope that at some point we can see you back on the field in ottawa because uh you know, <laughs> at, at, at some point we're going to meet you in person here um but i really appreciate you coming on with us it was very insightful again uh, i'm sure we'll end up talking to you again at some point but yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I, I enjoy the talks, man. I'm always I'm always down to help help break it down for people because uh players always get a bad rap, especially with fans, because they just they just don't understand the ins and outs. And then again, owners always get the owners don't get any flack. So I think that's the that's the part of players trying to get understand is that don't always put all your frustrations on the players. Owners owners deserve some of it too, because again, they're moving like like any other corporation will move in business. They save money. Any way, any way possible, and in a sport like football, that's violent in guys' lives, livelihoods are played where lives are put at risk every day. It's, just, it's not fair. That's all guys are just fighting for some type of fairness. So I'm always down to down to speak the game so people understand. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll we'll see in Ottawa. You have my uh, my jersey. I need signed for from you. So. Oh yeah, for sure. So even even if not, man, man, I, I'll try to make it back up to Canada, man. Watching games if, if, if once fans are allowed and stuff like that, man. I'm 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 forever indebted to the CFL, man. Um, I don't ever want people to think that I'm ever ragging on the league or I don't care about the league. I'm always indebted to the league because it gave me an opportunity to uh, showcase my talent to people who probably would have never got a chance to see them. So I'm always forever grateful for that. And my name's always on that great cup, baby. So I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> and yo, who knows? Maybe in uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll find you on the uh, the old decade team. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, man. Honestly, I don't think I, I, I don't deserve it personally because my body of work is not as long as other guys. But I think the two tackles who should make it 
is Stanley and uh, Jovan uh, Olafoye. There are a lot of good tackles that played in this league over the years. And uh, I think Chris Van Zyl is, is a, has a great resume. I think um, Sherpessa Rogers has a great resume. Um, but I think Jovan Olafoye and, uh, and Stanley Bryant are probably should be the two tackles. But if I get voted in, hey, man, that means I, I did an outstanding job in only four seasons. Oh, well, I mean, look at your resume. The, it's impressive for four years, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, man, I appreciate that. Anyways, thank you, uh, thank you, Derek, for coming on, and uh, hopefully we can have you on soon, and there'll be good news about uh, about the CFL next time. Hopefully, hopefully, man, hopefully, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh yeah, and if anybody listens to this, also uh, shout out to my podcast, Insights from the Locker Room. Uh, just dropped the episode last night, but you know it's on all major streaming platforms. So if you want to go take a listen to that. Uh, please do. Um, and I always take feedback, fan feedback. And if you guys ever want to come on my podcast and, and chop it up, man, you guys are always welcome. Hey, you know what, Derek? We uh, we owe you one. So if you want us on there, we're on there with you. 100%. For sure, man. Pre- appreciate it, guys. And that wraps up this episode of the 13th Man Podcast. Thank you, Derek Dennis, for joining us once again. Again, you can find him on uh, Twitter at 6 Crusher 3 on Twitter. And again, check out his podcast. Um, you know, it's insightful having these players on to talk about their side of things. I know we've ragged on the the, the PA the last couple of weeks, so it's nice to kind of get some a little bit of clarification and some insight to how things go. Yeah, I mean, you know, we said last week that we're open to learning all the time, right? And that's that's exactly why we want these players on, because Derek gave us some stuff today, in particular for me that I can now look at and I, I think I am more educated on the situation now than I was before this interview. So I hope that you guys that are listening at home right now or in your car or wherever you are, I hope you can say the same thing uh, because at the end of the day, that's what we're striving to do. Yeah. It's always about learning, uh, learning a little bit more. I mean, as much as we, we say and we do things, uh, obviously we're not inside the locker room. We're not inside the negotiation. We have to, we're breaking down things from what we're what we're seeing, so it's nice to get someone who's inside a little bit come on and talk to us. Absolutely. That, it was, honestly, interesting little quote about the the June Jones to Bo Levi. A little bit interesting little tidbit there. Yeah. But again, guys, thank you for listening. For myself, you can find me at Shane underscore Ryan ninety seven, and. Uh, definitely stay tuned because I will be releasing a little bit new content um, in the next couple of days, if not weeks, about a little project that I'm uh, I'm working, I'm part of. Uh, it, it's with our friends. It's helping our friends at Maximum Football. So you'll definitely want to take a follow and make sure you uh, you stay tuned because it's going to be interesting. Uh, uh, Shane's Shane's got a big big new big news drop here. Big role to announce. Yeah, uh, it's. Once things are ready to go, we will be making things. Uh, we'll make things. I'll let people know what's going on. I mean, it's already in my Twitter bio, so you can see it there. But for for that being said, for Frankie, you can find him at six one three Frankie. He has been working hard on our website. Um, as That's an understatement. That is an understatement. He has been taking the brunt of things uh, because, I, again, I just moved. 
uh, I had this other thing kind of pop up out of nowhere where I really wasn't expecting to happen. Hey, I'll tell you what, though. Dave and Tyson have been busting their asses to get us some content, and it's been performing great. It's been good content. Uh, and, of course, if you are interested in joining the team, uh, head over to our website, 13thmanpodcast.com. Navigate yourself over to the contact page at, on the top right and fill out the email form. Let us know that you're interested in joining our team and we will get back to you as soon as possible. So if you are interested in joining the 13th man, absolutely. The door is open. Just let us know what team you want to cover. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in contact with you. Yeah. And guys, uh, just to let you all know, Monday is our official pre-sale, pre-order, whatever you want to call it for our merch. We will have polos, athletic shirts, and sweaters available for the first run. Uh, so, yeah, you definitely want to make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook because uh, that's what we'll be posting the pictures and whatnot, and, and the quality of stuff's really good, and the prices are extremely out of there. And don't forget, too, a deposit is refundable. Yes. Uh, you'll have two weeks to pay in full amount. Um, there is going to be a little sale for people who are buying a lot or not necessarily a lot, but there will be a sale if you're buying more than one item. So you'll want to make sure as we'll, we'll be releasing information later on in the week and getting everything ready for Friday or for a Monday drop. Yeah. But thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you back here on Tuesday. Uh, I don't know what day of the week it is anymore, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's Wednesday. Uh, I don't know. Moving has kind of ruined my head. <laughs> it's Wednesday when we record this, Friday when, we, when you're listening to it. So don't worry. It's not really Wednesday. Plot twist. <laughs> yes, it's, it's Wednesday when we're recording this. So anyways, guys, we'll talk to you later. Have a wonderful one. We'll catch you back here on Tuesday's episode of the 13th Man Podcast. Mom. Mom.